Hello, and thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you really have never seen pop star Never Stop Never Stopping, or... Oh, come on, you never watched Aliens, or... How have you not seen Little Shop of Horrors? Hello again, and thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen? I am your co-host, Caroline Thompson. I'm Carson Betts. And this is a movie podcast where each week we pick one of our favorite movies that the other hasn't seen. We talk about it. Then we go and watch the movie. And we talk about it some more. It's going to be a real good time. Yeah. Carson. Yeah. You have never seen Little Shop of Horrors. No. You have not one, but two whole degrees in musical theater. Not in musical theater. Or you're right, you're right, you're right. In theater. In yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah. How have you not seen Little Shop of Horrors? Well, I will say, first off, I've, I've said this on this show multiple times. I certainly did during the cabaret. I am way more into musicals than your average layperson. I am, I think, significantly less into musicals than your average theater kid. I am <laughs> right in that middle. So there's that. We love a Venn diagram. Yeah. Uh Secondly, I don't, as to how I've never seen the movie, that's actually a good question. This definitely seems like the sort of movie that like my grandparents would make me watch when I was a kid. Um, I have been in a production. I was not acting in it, but I have been a production assistant in a professional production of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, really? Yeah. At the end of grad school, because we did a one-two punch. It was outdoor theater because it was the end of COVID. I was in Midsummer Night's Dream. And then I did production assistant work for Little Shop of Horrors, the musical that they did. Uh, so I know the musical incredibly well. I just okay. haven't seen the movie. Okay, that's interesting. It's very similar to Cabaret, actually. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We need to get a list of every musical you've ever been in and then see which um, which uh, which film adaptations you have not seen. Caroline, when they let us write the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee adaptation. Oh, Jesus Christ, I have no interest. <laughs> well, I'll do it for hire, actually. I'll, I will yeah. do it for hire. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so no, I mean, I know this musical. I think the movie is, I, I feel like the ending of the movie is different, maybe. It is. It yeah, is. Yeah, the ending is different. Okay, it's maybe, I, my guess is that the ending of the movie is probably a bit sunnier than the ending of the musical. Correct. Because the, the ending of the musical is that the heroes lose and everyone dies, uh, which is hilarious. But, so this is an interesting question. Are we going to yeah. watch the director's cut or are we going to watch? Because um, oh. I believe the director's cut has the alternate ending that they originally shot. Which oh. is the same. That's a good question, Corey. I didn't realize there were two cuts. I have seen the original ending, um, but I've only seen it standalone on YouTube. In, and it was in black and white because I, mm. I didn't think they ever released because so the the story behind this, or at least the at least the whatever you call it, the kind of the kind of common knowledge around this, the the story around it anyway, is that they shot it, they shot the musical like the the stage show, and they did test screenings, and people were like, "I loved it. This movie rules. That ending is the worst." 
Mm. That ending is the worst, which like to some degree, I actually think I actually think the film version of the original ending kind of rips. But I also understand that it does not work as well on film as it does in a live show when you're when your whole cast is coming back out and like singing the song to you and like giving you the the epilogue like that works a little bit better than I think the ending in the film is really fun and it rips. Yeah. But yeah, they were like, that sucks. We can't like fuck that. Like, and then so they reshot the ending where it's happy. Mm. Okay. Well, that's fine. I mean, I can, we, I can probably look up both on YouTube and watch them yeah. and compare. And certainly I have the musical ending in my brain. Right. Um, I have the the Blu-ray that I have, I believe, has both. Oh, I bought cool. one at Barnes and Noble many moons ago okay, when awesome. we decided we were doing this. So many moons ago. And I ever you guys ever hear that musical? Wait, hold on. When, Once upon a mattress. Ah, oh, damn it. I was gonna say I know that song and I was about to just like sing through it under my breath until I figured yeah. it out. I have not done go in a far off place. You did that when I, you were in college, right? I did that in high school. Um, and then I deleted all the songs from my brain and then i ran mic tech for a children's production of it over the summer so right, now they're what i was referring to oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so really? now every song is latched in my brain permanently unfortunately congratulations it's not a good musical um but little shop of horrors is i really like the musical little shop of horrors yeah little shop of horrors fucks hard yeah yeah um so the movie fucking yes. rick so moranis Yes. What do Rick you Moranis. Yes. He's the lead. Seaborn Krellborn. Um uh uh, uh freaking Steve Martin is the dentist, yeah? Correct. I feel like is Jim Belushi in this movie? No. Okay. I feel like yes, he, is. Per- he is. <laughs> oh get fucked, Caroline. Uh I don't know who he is, but this right here says Jim Belushi is Patrick Martin. I feel oh, like okay. I've seen him in shots for this movie. Okay, so I was well, right. Then, um, yeah, then he, well, he is not, he is not a large role. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, this is a musical written by freaking, um, what's his face? Directed by, is the movie, the movie's Frank Oz, right? Correct. Hell yeah. Um, it is a musical about a guy named Seaborn who works at a plant shop a, he finds a cool new, and he's a dad, he's a little fucking nerd, Seymour, and he's in love with the woman that works the pet shop, Audrey, and he finds a new plant, it's an alien plant, and it talks and sings, and it looks fucking cool, and uh, it starts eating people, this is the act two twist, starts eating people to essentially help Seaborn, Seymour uh, get along, and then obviously that goes too far, he makes essentially a Faustian bargain with this plant and it goes uh it goes wrong and then in the musical the plant gets super powerful and eats everyone and everyone dies yeah yeah Yeah. it sounds like you have um sounds like you have uh you know this musical well and that you have uh correctly identified this it's a bit of a retelling of Faust a little bit one could say kind of a yeah um and yes and Carson I do want to say yes you are correct Jim Belushi is in this I thought you said John Belushi oh yeah no I was like I was like the other Belushi John Belushi is in 
is in Little Shop of Horrors. I, but that's because it's Jim Belushi. Before. Yeah, I always John clock Belushi. Jim Belushi and stuff oh. because I go, oh man, that guy looks so much like John Belushi. Oh, because it's Jim Belushi. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I feel like I would have known if John Belushi was in this. But yeah, Jim Belushi yeah. is in this. Yeah. No offense to Jim. No offense to Jim. Just oh, yeah. John was yeah, an Jim. icon and Jim had, I think, eight simple rules for dating his teenage daughter. Yeah. yeah. Is that him? Was he the one with eight simple rules? I believe. No. I think I so. Know. I don't know. Oh, 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 oh. No, that's John Ritter. Oh. Uh, Which one was Jim Belushi? Kristen Ritter's dad. Jim Belushi. Let's see. He was in Here one we of go. those TV shows. Jim Maybe Belushi. Just, did he have us a comment? According to Jim. Jim. Exclamation point. Like, according to Jim. According, according to, to Jim. Jim. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You know, you know what we never talk about enough? How cool and hot Kristen Ritter is. Um. Carson, you have you are allowed to talk about that as, as much as you'd like. Okay. I think she's fairly cool and I think she's, you know, wow. good looking. Dis- disrespect on Kristen Ritter's name. Can I, I just feel like can I tell you guys what Jim Belushi's up to now? What yeah, is Jim Belushi doing now? Jim Belushi is a man of many talents, actor, singer, dancer, and now legal cannabis farmer. Follow Jim. His family. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Jim Belushi. Three seasons of a Discovery Plus show called Growing Belushi. The fuck is Discovery Plus? Uh, uh, Discovery Plus is the reason we are. It is the reason that HBO Max is just becoming maxed. If HBO Max is, they're just going to call it what? Because it's Warner Brothers Discovery now. They're just going to call it Max. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fucking stupid. Just keep- God, Carson, I'm so jealous you're not on Twitter. I, I was like, I, how does he not know this? Yes, and literally one of their taglines is the one to watch for HBO. <laughs> and it's like, just, 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 H- you already have a recognizable IP that people associate with movies and streaming. Just keep it called HBO. Yeah, correct. 100%. It's it literally it means true. home box office. It's the perfect name for a streaming service. Yes, it is. It is peak. You're not making Christian music any better. You're yes. gonna make music worse. Insert Hank Hill like, GIF. It is peak the Democrats being like, oh no, like we're losing <laughs> moderates and the left. I best I guess we better become more conservative and <laughs> more votes. <laughs> it's it's peak, like you are identifying the problem and leaning into the problem as opposed to the solution. Um God. Anyways, yes, they are they are rebranding it as Max. I, I fucking hate that. HBO Max is the only good streaming service. It is the best streaming service available. Bar yeah. none. Oh my god. It's so stupid. Anyway. Um, all right. Anyway. Is there anything else you know about this film? Uh, or John Belushi or Jim Belushi? <laughs> like I probably could, could conjure a lot of things about John Belushi if I had to. Um, no, no, let's leave it there. Suddenly see more. One of my all time faves. Standing beside you. One of my all time faves. In that case, are you ready to get into our little game for the week? Absolutely. Wonderful. This week we are playing a classic on the show. We are playing Untitled Letterboxd Game. How good. Love it. If this is your first time joining us, Untitled Letterboxd Game is a game in which I have pulled three one star reviews for three different films. One of them is Little Shop of Horrors. The other two are films that in some way, shape, or form are tangentially related to that. I am going to read these reviews, all of which coming from users on letterboxd.com, which as Carson discovered last week, is a website, not just an app. 
Um, and Carson <laughs> is going to try to guess which film is Little Shop of Horrors, and he gets bonus points if he can identify the other one, either of the other two films. Yeah. Carson, are you ready? I'm so ready. Excellent. One. Review number one. One star. Akin to a screwball comedy in its fast-paced dialogue and farcical humor, however, despite the swift pacing, directors, roll the eyes, leave it to beaver style jokes are forced in moronic. They're often based around sarcasm or the the naivete of its main character, yet it often never quite balances comedy with naturalism or grounded in absurdism. Great ideas at the center, though, that was ripe for a remake. Okay, all right. Review number two. One star. I watched this before seeing the musical and was like, eh, okay, sure, fine. 2.5 out of 5, middle of the road. And then I saw the musical and it was like I'd been in the desert for 30 years and just tasted water again for the first time. Whoa. It is a fantastic piece of art and this movie does it genuinely so dirty. As a standalone piece, fine. As an adaptation, truly, truly awful. Fuck you, director. Watch Whoa. the musical, everyone, especially the OG. Okay. Review number three, one star. My friend Mark and I pay, uh, paid a dollar each to see this movie at Cineworld. When the heady, bright captain of the high school football team and a squirty, weird musical theater nerd Venn diagram in the middle and agree to walk out, you know it's a bad movie. I really wish I could be in the Cineworld. Mentally, I am in the Cineworld when with Mark. Mark and uh, this user whose name is RCIV on Letterboxd. Um, Sorry, I don't mean to dox this user on, on, on Maine, but when Mark and RCIV went to see whatever film it was at Cineworld. Uh, yes, doxing. The classic example of doxing. Sharing yes. someone's letterbox. <laughs> username. username. God. Um, Sharing a public fuck. review on a, on, a, on a public website. I, I the second, I was kind of, huh, interested. The first one, there's talk of a remake, which suggests to me it is a movie musical that has been remade, of which there are not many. Though this, can you read the, the, just the first couple sentences of the second one again? Of the second one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I watched this before seeing the musical and was like, eh, okay, yeah, sure, fine. Two out of five stars, middle of the road. Then when I saw the musical and it was like I had been in the desert for 30 years and I just tasted water again for the first time. It's a fantastic piece of art and this movie does it genuinely so dirty. Okay. 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 I'm going to guess the first one is The Producers, the second one is Cabaret, and the third one is Little Shop of Horrors. Can I throw okay. a guess out? What did you say, Corey? I said, can I throw a guess out for the first one? Yeah. Hairspray. Okay, um, so Carson, yeah. you correctly identified Little Shop of Horrors as review number three. Nice. Yeah. So you are correct. You do win yeah. for the week. Um, however, reviews number one and two, neither of you guessed correctly. Um, review number two, the one about it being like genuinely doing it so dirty, is yeah. Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Oh, oh, that's absolutely oh, that's... correct. Fuck that movie. Yeah. Yes. I, I agree with this user actually quite a bit. I think as a movie itself, um, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd is actually pretty okay. I actually kind of like it. But as, a, as an adaptation of the Stephen Sondheim musical, it is, it is a train wreck. It is a nightmare. I almost said Les Miserables, but that, feel, that felt a little too obvious. 
Yes. Um, and then the first one is the original Roger Corman film, The Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I didn't know there was the original. Is based. Oh shit. So oh, it's a, a Corman. Yeah. So I mean, Roger I guess that made that's where you get that weird outsider energy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, the right. Little Shop of Horrors, made in 1960 by Roger Corman. That was then adapted into a stage musical by Howard Ashman, which was then adapted into a film by Frank Oz. Oh, wow. Okay, which cool. Is what we will be watching this week. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. I'm going to, I don't know Steve Martin's performance in this movie, but I do want to put this out there. This, yeah. mu- this musical has one of the roles that I think I would be the most well suited to playing in any musical, which is the dentist. Which is the dentist. Yeah. Yes. I think that is disgustingly correct hell yeah it is you're right yeah it's it's uh uh, in terms of the ones i really want to be it's dentist in the little shop i really want to be freaking thenardier and lay miz one day Uh, all just the good just a just a goofy guy just a goofy goofy guy who's like who's fucking fucking evil and has so much fun doing it yeah ah all right fantastic well let's i was so excited let's go watch this movie all right, we will. Uh, we are going to go watch the film, and we will see y'all after the break. You'll be a dentist. And we are back. Yeah, we are. Bop, from Skid bop. Row. From Skid Row. But it must be said. Or rather, we're back from downtown and we're now downtown. on Skid Row. Maybe. I, I, I love the fact that the... It, it's like primordial. Like the place. It's like Skid Row as an idea is... It's it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like it's it's mythical. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I personally am back from somewhere that's green, but you guys can oh, Good on uh, you. A, a song um, so good that Alan Menken said, you know what, I'll just, oh, you know, whatever, do it again. My name's producer Corey. I'm an established adult who's married and has a home with my wife. Oh, look at me. I've got my shit together. Cool. I get to go somewhere that's green. I have well, never you, set well, somebody up. nerds. <laughs> I have never set somebody up for something so well in my entire life. You are <laughs> fucking welcome. <laughs> Didn't even do it on purpose. Uh, uh, oh, look at these other two. The two co-hosts of this pod with their dating apps and their cats. Uh, living in their apartment. <laughs> with their roommates. Well, I guess, Carson, you don't have a roommate anymore. but I don't have a roommate anymore. That's true. Um, okay, so uh, I had a realization I think about 15 minutes into this movie, some sometime during, I think it was sometime during downtown. Uh-huh. And it it hit me like it wasn't, it wasn't like a revelation. It wasn't like a, a burst of excitement. It was like uh uh just as a fact, just kind of it it revealed itself to me, where I just went, oh, this movie is perfect. Like, I know it's one of those, I'm like, 15 minutes in, I already know this movie, it's as an objective fact, this movie is perfect. 
Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking great. Um, uh, so I was watching this. And I mean, between between a lot of things, between the score just being really good, mm. it being really well directed, the actors being really good, there being a ton of nostalgia for me with this thing. Um, there were several moments where I was just like I was watching it by myself, like in my house, in my room, just on my TV with my little cat. Mm. And I was just grinning yeah. ear yeah. to ear like multiple at multiple points it's just so so fucking enjoyable yeah. and yeah. such a good nice fun watch yeah, yeah <sighs> it it is i i i let all of the imperfections in this movie slide yeah and so then i might agree with you that it's perfect it's it's weird this movie has some flaws but it's perfect well yeah it's like it's i, I mean God, you know, movies are never finished. They just escape, you know? It's right. like, like there is no, art is in a, in a kind of serious sense. Like there is no art, which is perfect. There is no, you know, perfect objectivity in art. But like, it's one of those movies where like, it is so good that anything you point at and is like, well, this doesn't work as well. This is a flaw. This is a little rough. You're just like, yeah, but like, by virtue of that flaw being a part of this movie, I don't care about it. It's it, it's yes. part of this, so it's good and I like it. Like, I, you know. No, 100%. It's, it's like when, you know, it's like, it's, um, it's like when you fall in love with somebody and their flaw, and you love them for their flaws, you know? Like, that's, that's part of the reason why you love them so much. That's a, that's a good metaphor. The one that I was going to go with is it's like, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if either of, uh, if your mothers are like particularly like great chefs, but like. Oh, my mom, horrible, terrible. One of the worst. Yeah, okay, it's, now. It's yeah. that thing where it's like, is it's like, is my mom the, is my mom the best cook ever? No. Mm -hmm. Is there, do I demand she make her cheesy potatoes every mm -hmm. Christmas and Thanksgiving because they're perfect? Yeah. Yes. Is it perfect because there is uh like two whole sticks of butter and a whole thing of like uh, of heavy cream mixed in with a pound of cheese and potatoes? Yes. Is that colon is that culinarily good? Not necessarily. Is it the best thing on earth? Yeah. And yeah. it's just that it's just that thing of like I mean in this metaphor Frank Oz is my mom. <laughs> but like it's true, right? It's yeah. like, it is it is that thing of like is this like the best thing that's ever been made? No. Does it all come together to create something I fucking cannot help but be absolutely in love yeah. with? Yes. Yeah. 110%. This is a real two sticks of butter movie. That's like a <laughs> great bit of it's. Yeah, it, it's just one of the most enjoyable film viewing experiences I have had in a long, long time. Um, the music is all incredible. And like, that's something I knew because as I discussed in the first half of this, I like worked on a production of this show. I wasn't in it, but like I, you know, became very familiar with, with the story and with music. But like yeah. the, the arrangement of it in this movie, the way, the way it is utilized, the way it is shot the way that it uses cinematic convention, like, God, just every time the, every time the street urchins have an outfit change, it just like makes me smile. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, oh my God, it, this is, this is one of those things that makes me kind of pull my hair out a mm-hmm. little bit. We talk, weirdly enough, we talked about this on like the dog day afternoon episode mm-hmm. uh, where we were talking about like LGBT representation. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's like, why are you saying we can't do it? Mm-hmm. We fucking did it. Like yeah. it's there. Like, like Al Pacino and, uh, and um, you know, John Cazale, they made this fucking movie with Sidney Lumet and they yeah. talk about these things. What are you mm-hmm. doing? What is this nonsense that we can't do it? It's the same thing with this. It's like, I watch all modern movie musicals. Yes, yes. And it's just like, this one takes so many good things about theater. Like, the long takes, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the really, really, like, important, like, attention to staging. Um, like, the quick changes that happen seemingly... You know, yeah. maybe there's some movie magic there, but like, yeah. seemingly, like you know, the the um, you know, the Motown trio, they'll they'll in right before um downtown. You know, they're in their street urchin clothes and they walk yeah. off frame left, and the camera pans over to the alley, and the lady uh, who begins the song starts walking down, and the camera pans over right, and then they're coming in frame right in different, like in different yeah clothing. That's so musical theater yeah and it's that thing of like i don't understand why how i don't understand why your lay misses and your dear evan hansen's and yes. you know yeah. you're like and your uh you know all of these mainstream movie musicals are like well it's you know we're trying to blend some things that work about the stage in with some things that work about film and like mm-hmm. it's, and you know, that's a real gift. It's like, they did it. Like Frank Oz fucking did it. Yeah. Yeah. Evidenced by the fact that the, the musical is, there are so few changes to the book of the musical, like the stage musical compared to this movie. Like they're nearly the same script. Yeah. Except yeah. for, Except for the whole end. Then, yeah, which we got to get to. I mean, that's a different thing. The whole end. Yeah. Um, and they cut Mushnik and Son, which I actually think is a very good choice. Mushnik and Son does not work in this. They cut Mushnik and Son. They add It's the Gas, which is a really good choice for the movie. Because, like, you just you just don't need that beat necessarily. It's kind of the least important beat. And it's stuff that you can get across in a movie easier than you can on stage just because of the closeness to the characters, the way that you can see them interact. Um, and it's a bit more comedic. The movie's a little bit more comedic with the relationship between the two of them than the stage show is. And like adding it's, and then like it's the gas is a song you don't necessarily need in the movie because like you can just do the bit of that song visually with a camera right. easier than you can. Like, yeah, like the purpose of that song is like, well, we need to do the death and it needs to feel really emotionally impactful and big and funny. But you can ju- you don't really need a song to do that in the movie. Right. Because you have the power of a camera. You can move it around, you know, like. Yeah. Ugh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. You What's don't have. Oh, that's a hard question. That is um, a really hard question because. The song or the film does uh, edit the script down to just bangers. Oops, just, all bangers. It's a, oops, all bangers. Yeah. Oops, all bangers. Uh-huh. Like. I literally, like, I think about this 
every time I watch this movie, every time I listen to the soundtrack, every time I like see the show, there is something primal in my brain. Yeah. That lights up when I hear that little like that little like tingle on the piano and then those first two notes of of uh of downtown. Yeah. Like, just alarm goes off at seven. Like that that woman singing those the first two syllables of alarm, it just like yeah. hits my fucking brain. And then the rest of that song rips. Somewhere that's green is a especially in this movie. Yeah. Like somewhere that's green is a song that frequently for me doesn't work on stage. Yep, yep. That's something uh, I wanted to talk about later. We'll get to it. Yeah. And it is like literally like like iconic cinema in this yeah. film. Yeah. Um and I mean, suddenly fucking Seymour, but also feed me. Like, are you kidding me? Get, I, I was going to say, I think my favorite song is get it. Yeah. I think, yeah, get it. I think similar downtown also, I really, really love, but like get it does something to my brain. I think it's, that's, that's the way of putting it of like, it just, it lights up the electricity in my neurons, like in a way that like, I really feel. And just the. I think the funniest turn, the funniest and most like emotionally impassioned turn in the movie is Seymour being like, I cannot kill a person for you. Absolutely not. Turn to, you know, well, I know somebody who deserves to die. Turn to the dentist, that whole interaction. And it fucking sucks. And Frank Oz shoots it in a way that really fucking sucks. And then the turn back to, and then the, the music coming back and you knowing, oh my God. Well, that's what's happening. Yeah, this guy's gonna yeah. die. Hundred percent, hundred percent. This guy's gonna die. Yeah, and then the two of the him and the plant, the conspiring of, oh well, yeah. Now nah, you you gotta eat. Let's go. You know it. Yeah. Oh, fucking rips. The guy never, sure looks like plant food to me. Guy sure looks like plant food to me. Oh. Yeah, it's a great build. I don't think I ever maybe. I'm trying to think. There are very few other characters in cinema who I've wanted to die more than the dentist. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I Carson, this is your first time watching it. Where jump, jump in something. God, I don't even know. It's fucking just. It, it's so Titanic. It's so great. Um, just, I'm trying to think of something specific to talk about. It is. It's the Spider Verse problem. This thing is perfect. Like I don't. You know, there's kind yeah. of. I could talk about everything, but I can talk about nothing. Like every bit is good. Every bit is funny and really clever. And like a perfect use of cinematic language. Um, In these, the fucking, oh, the fucking puppet, the puppet. Yeah. Okay. Let's so let's start at the puppet. Cool. The, the, just the construction of it, the way it moves, the fact that like they can make the lips like sound like you can see. It's not just flapping. You can see the like lips change with what the plant is saying. Yep. Like the. Just the way they use it for bits, the fact that, like, well, we've got this incredible puppet and we've got these tendrils that can move. Like, isn't it funny if we use them? You know, like the replication, like the fact, and like they use it for drama too. Like the plant feeling up Audrey is like really legitimately scary. Yeah, it's really nasty. In yeah, it's really grody and bad. And like the and then the next song of the plant sprouting little mouths and the mouths doing the doo-ops in the back is like the the, the baby Audrey's list. are so funny. So funny. They're so funny. Like, I I don't know what it is, 
but whenever there is like the trope of like there's the big one uh-huh. but then there's like 20 little baby ones with a, that, that like with a higher voice like yeah. a gaggle of tiny ones but their voices are higher it's so yeah. funny it, it's, it's always funny. so funny it's so funny yeah like, they're tiny so their voices are tiny, higher, higher voices and like it works it's so dumb it's so dumb but like and it, it just feeds back of like every every element in this movie just works perfectly off every other element like it is just like that's a funny like We've got this incredible bit of puppetry, this like great bit of like stage business that we can just use out the wazoo. And that is impressive to look at. It is just like a highly entertaining thing to look at because it's so impressive. Like we can Mm -hmm. keep using it for the sake of comedy. We use that bit of comedy to tie back into the music to make the music that the plant is singing more like, like aurally interesting. Yeah, it's it's just great. It's a fucking finely tuned machine. Every bit like works off of every other bit. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Can I give a really fun fact about the puppet before we move oh, on? Please, yes. Please, I love the puppet. But there are at one point sixty people underneath the floor, uh, all controlling the puppet at the same time, and that's I think part of the reason that like the musculature of it looks so real and so intense. Yeah. And I just think that's really neat and I wanted to share it. I believe that I, like, my dream is to be, (laughs) shocker, my dream is to be on a set and just, like, I don't know, I'd fucking, like, grip for it. I'd fucking, like, I'd fucking go for for it. I just want to see how that shit is done because it's yeah. the same thing too with like Yoda. Like obviously it's a much smaller scale, but there's mm-hmm. like a statistic that it's like there's like six different puppeteers under like the Dagobah scenes, like doing yogurt Yoda or something like that. And I'm just like, what are the what are they all doing? Like I believe yeah. it. Like it's all on screen. Yeah. So I believe it. But I'm just like, I'm just like, how how do these things work? I'm so fascinated by puppetry. Um yeah. and listeners of this podcast should know that I mean this in the most highly complimentary way possible. Mm -hmm. But just in case it's unclear, I say this to be the highest compliment. You can tell this film is directed by Miss Piggy. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. Like, like in terms of like, just the, uh, the, the like artisanship that is going on with the puppetry, as well as like the comedic timing with it all. And that classic, classic, classic Muppets bit of like the Muppets are so funny Mm -hmm. and they work so well because it's like it's a cartoon or it's a puppet. It's a puppet frog and a puppet pig and a puppet dog and a puppet eagle and all this stuff. And they're just doing normal people shit. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like there's an anxious frog trying to produce a variety show like like there's like yeah exactly like like occasionally there's a bit where like piggy will like make a crack comment about kermit being a frog like something about how he'll be like you like you're green or you're slippery or like go eat a fly or like whatever mm-hmm. it may be but it's like the actual character interaction is him being like kind of stressed out because like he's running a variety show <laughs> and like like the, the the classic Muppets thing is like these characters are not puppets ironically. Yeah. It's not like 
they're doing this, but they're puppets. It's, well, they're puppets and they're doing this. Yeah. And, like, it's so, like, like the way that the plant is so, like, like, the the fact that the plant is a puppet that is emulating something in the world of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the puppet is not a special, I mean, it is a special effect like in the, in the grand scheme of things, but it's like the puppet is not means to an end. The puppet is not like, Oh, oh, well, then there's a character and it's a giant plant. So I guess we better make that a puppet. Yeah. And like, and you know, and then in in some things it'll be, it'll be like CG, even the CG wasn't around back then, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's like, it's not a, the puppetry is not a means to an end the puppetry is like what is on display mm-hmm. and it's like, and it's like no like this is integrating into the world like this is something that we have to construct to do all of these things and it's fucking incredible and also it, the comedic timing in this is very miss picky is so yeah yeah uh okay so that that brings up two things for me uh one that it's it's part of the like especially with movies like this that are so good uh there's often and i say this on the show a lot there's something about it where like it's just fucking alchemy it's just like i can't exactly explain why you put these elements together and they just like go off perfect without a hitch because it's it's like chemistry magic where like something about the puppet that bit of abstraction something about like the way that the puppet uh affects the tone of the movie this thing's got such a weird tone that could go off the rails so easily, but it never does. It keeps in perfect tension at all times. It's so well balanced. Or like you can have the puppet and them having this ridiculous song about how the puppet needs to eat people to survive. And then you cut to the dentist and Audrey scene and it all happens in silhouette, which I think also helps affect the tone. Like it, it still does remain somewhat cartoonish, but like and you can just have a very brutal scene of a woman being abused. And it doesn't sugarcoat it or try and, you know, yeah, it it just does it. And there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie that's really brutal and really gross and really bloody and really, you know, really real. And then there's also this like fucking alien plant that wants to eat people. And yeah. somewhere that green, somewhere that's green, a song that like takes place inside a like cartoon world, you know, and like it all just settles together. It's the alchemy of the thing. The tone is perfect. It never breaks. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it I mean, yes, this is this is a very good place to get to because uh, this leads me into one of the big things I want to talk about, which mm. is I mean, it's everybody's performance, but like the fucking Ellen Green performance. Is. Oh, but like so it is this thing that kind of what you're talking about, Carson, is I think a thing that this film gets really right is that um a lot of like 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 Howard Ashman puts a lot a lot a lot a lot of jokes mm-hmm. and like there's a lot of wit and there's a lot of like cleverness at play with the lyrics and with the book of this thing but it's never it's never tongue-in-cheek it's almost blink and you miss it you know what i mean and it's a thing that's like true across a lot of his work which is i think one of the reasons he was so well suited for disney stuff too is because it's like it is so like he never had to 
stop to make a joke right yeah. he has like i mean if you listen to fucking fucking under the sea is nothing but puns yeah yeah um and it's like and it just goes like he just rattles off 90 of them mm-hmm. um and it all works with the music and with the story and so i think it's a thing that like frank oz gets really right in directing this is like i think that that a lot of this could be played at the expense of audrey and seymour mm-hmm. and a lot of this could be played at the expense of like well then we have to like pump the brakes and tell a joke Mm -hmm. but it's like it's way funnier when it's way funnier when these people mean these things earnestly and they just breeze through them Mm -hmm. um and it allows you to have things like somewhere that's green that is fucking hysterical like it's so funny yeah it's so funny like the line i i cook like betty crocker is yeah. one of my favorite lines in all of musical theater yeah because it's so fucking dumb and it's yeah. so funny to me but also like she means it so earnestly. Yeah. so it's such a funny song and it's such a funny like sequence but it's also so affecting and heartwarming mm-hmm. in a way that like if you made it like okay yeah like Audrey wants to get out of Audrey wants to get out of Skid Row, but also like, isn't she kind of like a dumb broad too? Like, <laughs> like she thinks like I cook like Betty Crocker, like, <laughs> yeah, like it's lampooning this like suburban, like this suburban like nineteen fifties like housewife fantasy, but also being really earnest and sweet about it. And it's like you understand why you can have that dual thing of like, okay, it's very funny that Audrey it's very funny the things that she wants Mm -hmm. but i also so understand why she wants them and i want her to have those things yeah it's this and it's the i mean her performance is like amazing like it it's another part thing that i'm like it's just so alchemical the fact that she can be so so ridiculous and so over the top and like the fucking voice is like so finely tuned as a comedy bit. And yet, and yet you so since you understand her sincerity and you so, you so want, you know, all the things that she wants to happen to her and like Rick yeah. Moranis too. Like it'd be so easy for that guy to be, cause he is, he's like a parody of like a weedly little nerd who like just wants to like a girl to notice him. Yeah. And it, and like he is kind of pathetic and ridiculous, but it never feels mean spirited, and you never dislike him, and you just want him to get. You just want him to notice him. A hundred and ten percent. And and she does. That's I think also the other trick of this movie is that it's it does it. It's not actually doing the trope of like oh, would the pretty girl just notice me? The that's what Seymour thinks it is, but what it actually is is these two people really really like each other, and they just have their own little you know, their own personal reasons for not thinking that they're good enough for one another and like getting over that is the revelation. Yes. Yeah. No, 110%. And I think that like, I think that, that I think a few things that earnestness that you're talking about does really set it apart. I think a really smart thing that this does, because Carson, what exactly what you're talking about is it's like they are under the misconception that the other one doesn't notice them or know they exist or Mm -hmm. care about them and it is very much about getting over that um and there's that earnestness there and also like the things that they want are 
stand-ins, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like we established very early on that they live in a fucking slum in down, mm-hmm. and like the city, and like it sucks, and they're poor and they're broke, and it's dangerous and it's like miserable, and so it's like you get this sense, especially with Audrey. That like, yeah, what she is pining after is like, you know, the fairy tale life and like the very 1950s housewife mm-hmm. thing and like, you know, a safe place in the suburbs, which, you know, has its own. Yeah, you know, kind some of, thorniness for that. There's some like, uh, OK, like that's kind of like a myth that is pretty. Bad Michael Myers lives in the suburbs. That's... Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was I was that was my thought, but I wasn't going to say it. But thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think you can kind of contrast that with some other movies uh, because, like, there's, you know, there's this whole thing. This film came out a year before Little Shop um, with, uh, with like, Back to the Future, right? Like, there's the whole thing mm-hmm. where, like, Crisp- Crispin Glover wouldn't come back for the sequels because he hated the ending. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, like, that's, like, the myth anyway. That's, like, the, the story there. And, like, apparently... You know, and like even like Zemeckis has said a little bit of like, eh, yeah, it's kind of gross a little bit, but like, hey, whatever, because it's yeah. like you know they the the happy ending is like he, Marty fixes everything and then they're rich. Yeah, yeah, it's this like, very Reagan era like version of suburban, you know, suburban domestic happiness that they yeah. get. Yeah, very consumerist. Yeah, and then and but like the thing is with this is it's not Audrey being like man like. I like what would really make my life is like if I had a better toaster. Yeah. It's just like, oh, she has the beautiful, safe, serene place with someone who loves her. And like she can she can mm-hmm. idolize the toaster a little bit. Like she can she can love the toaster a little bit, but it's like we get to laugh at like those things as symbols, but we 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 get it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the I, I mentioned it earlier, but the way the way that that bit of somewhere the green is is shot like it is so abstract and cartoony and so camp you know the way that the the you know the suburb looks the colors on display yeah it's 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 just so sweet it's just so so sweet yeah and it's like i think a big the fact that this movie does not ever feel like it's punching down on anyone it never feels like it's being mean about what people want i also think that like i think it's really important that like the urchins are your greek chorus like um in downtown like it is ostensibly this song about where they live uh sucks and is dangerous and everyone's poor and it's bad but like everyone is singing the song like it, it never feels like it's like oh it's poor and bad because of like those people the criminals the homeless like uh, like no they're singing the song they're part of it like they are as affected by this situation as our main characters are you know they're the they're the chorus um and it it just does so much at the beginning of this movie to make it feel so humanistic and so about like it's not that this place is terrible because people made it that way it's just terrible because people find themselves in circumstance and it's yeah. about wanting to get out of that circumstance. And like, that not that something that we can all relate to? Like, we all have that at some point in our lives of like, well, I'm here. I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else that's better. Yeah. Somewhere that's green, one might say. Yes. Yeah. So let's use that to jump to the ending. Yeah. Let's talk about the ending. We yeah. can we can circle back because like, you know, there's some, I mean, we haven't even touched on Steve Martin. Um, 
Uh, God, I want to play the dentist on stage so badly. You would be very good as Thank the you. dentist. Thank you. Um, but yes, so um, let's go to the ending. What are your thoughts on it? Because I have my thoughts. I have not watched the alternate ending. I I know it basically because I know, you know, the stage show. Yeah, it's, it's I know the same it's number. Yeah, that. it's the same number. Um, I think, I think that the, the pitch dark ending of the stage show is actually a bit more in line with the rest of the movie and is probably a better encapsulation of the movie's core themes and a more interesting way to end the movie. However, I really like getting to see these two characters I like be happy. Um, and so I don't, I don't necessarily mind the end. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. It is this thing <laughs> where I've seen the original ending. Yeah. You can watch it online. And it's like really well made and fun and good. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the show. So mm-hmm. I see how it works. And every time, every time I do watch the show, I'm just like, it's like, man, I wish they, I wish they lived. I wish. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Man, yeah. I, and yeah. I think, I think one thing that the show does a little bit more than the movie is they do, they do lean in a little bit more to like, well, Seymour probably could have stopped this. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> where like the movie does, it is kind of like, you know, things get, things get very out of hand and then like we don't care that he kills the dentist Mm -hmm. and the stage show does have him act a little bit more selfishly so he's a little it is a little harder to redeem him in the stage show but they cut a lot of that out in the film it's the mushnick and something it's that you have a stronger emotional connection to mushnick and in the show in like the stage show he is more directly responsible for his death yeah whereas in this one it's not so much that he kills him it's just that he does not go out of his way to stop the plan from yes yeah and also, I can see, like, it is very, very clear they shot a different ending. And then mm. the test audiences were like, yes. no, no, fuck <laughs> that. They should live. And yeah. it's very much like, you know, like the plant, the plant gobbles Mushnik in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, like, how he fights with Audrey, like how he fights with Audrey too to save Audrey mm-hmm. is a little clearly like, Okay, and then we're going to fight. And then, like, it's kind of pretty contrived. And then you can see that, like, you can you can envision it perfectly that, like, he takes her outside and they do her death scene and he goes back in. And that those scenes are so emotionally charged. That's like they just insert. They're like, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) They do their let's get married. Mm -hmm. He goes back inside. They have this super emotionally charged scene and you can just see it. They insert a few reaction shots from Ellen Mm -hmm. Green. Yep. Like it's so clearly reshot and like mm-hmm. cut back in that like I can't help but notice it. And having said all of that, having said like I've seen the original ending, it rips, like I I I I I, I you know, I, I seen it on stage and it works, like and you know, they have to like really bend over backwards to make this ending work, and even still it's a little obviously tacked on. Mm-hmm. And I do think emotionally, I was thinking about this watching it. I'm like, I do think it's a better film if you do the original ending. Like, I yeah. think, I think it is a better work of art. 
there is. I think thematically, it's a lot more cohesive. I think aesthetically, it's a lot more cohesive. I'm really glad that they live. Yeah, it's just nice. It's so nice. You just, just want to nice. Yeah. It's just nice. And sometimes we can allow ourselves to have nice things. Yeah. Sometimes. And like, even the stage show, like, because in the stage show part, they, they, the order of when Mean Green, um, Mean Green happens is like switched. So that's like, Mean Green is kind of like a coda to the, to the show. It's like, that's the, you know, that's like the show that, but, and they do that as like an all skate. They bring all the characters out and like have, show them again, because like, there is just a level of, of abstraction, like inherent to a stage musical that is not present in a movie. Um, and so you can, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too and do the ending of like, well, they both die and that's, you know, deserved and more thematically correct. But then also we can bring the actors back out and like have them do another number and everybody yeah, can right. accept that. Like that would not work in a movie in the way it does on stage. But yeah, it's just, it's just nice. It's just good. I like seeing them. I like them being happy. I just want to be happy. Um, Okay, can we use that also to go back a little bit? We got to talk about, you got to talk about Audrey. Because I do yes. think. Uh, Wait, you know, which one? Audrey or Audrey 2? Audrey. Okay. One, because it's something that I have, I listened to the Broadway cast album a little bit and I saw it happen live. And like, I'm not trying to, you know, the actress who played Audrey in my production was really in, an, an incredible singer and a great performer. And I'm not trying to like throw shade at her, but there is something I think inherent about how people are doing Audrey on stage that is kind of missing the genius of the Ellen Green performance. And it's that they play her a little bit too. Um, I don't mean this sexually. I mean it like in terms of comedy player, a little bit too straight. Like uh, she is a little bit, they turn her yeah. into like a more traditional, like, you know, musical theater leading lady somewhere that's green. I like, it was always the issue with like when I, when I was in it, like that song did not work nearly as well as it does in the, in the show. Partially, partially just because you can't do the, the visual humor of it. Like you can in the movie quite as well. It just becomes a, um, uh, it just becomes like a soliloquy on stage with Audrey, basically. Uh, but like when you have just a musical theater actress doing her big soliloquy song, which is like a thing that happens in most musical theater plays, it is coded as, you know, it's fucking memory and cats. It's like, you know, this big emotional number. It's it's her, it's her I want song. She's going to come out and do that. Um, those songs are usually so serious and so somber and so soaring. And the genius of it in the movie is that like all of that emotionality is undercut a little bit with the visual humor and the jokes, you know, in it about, well, the thing that she actually wants is kind of ridiculous and silly. But despite that, as we talked about, you still do like her and you are endeared to her even more so because of that. And like on stage, when you can't, you have no way of like highlighting visually how silly the things she wants are. And because we all have this collective memory of like, well, I know what it means when the lead actress in a musical comes out, like sings her I Want song. And in the performances of it that I've seen, the way that she plays the song is a little bit more serious and a little bit more uh, just emotionally dense. It kind of makes the song fall flat because then none of the jokes work. Right. No, yeah. 110%. The Betty Crocker line feels weird. It does not feel like a joke. 
Yes. No, yeah. correct. Yeah. And that's like what I was like, exactly what I was alluding to earlier, where I'm yeah. like, I've seen it done on stage and it just like doesn't quite work as well for yeah. that exact reason. It's like, it's the thing of like a lot of, a lot of folks will do it nowadays. And again, and it is, it's really hard. It's to, a really tough it's, balance. It's a, it's a very tricky balancing act to do like a, to do the, uh, like, okay, this is funny. And there's a bit of, there's a bit of a wink here, but also like the character has to believe it. Mm-hmm. And a thing that I think Ellen Green really taps into that's really important to this performance is how she plays it like wistfully mm-hmm. and like almost like, almost like naively feels like maybe too loaded of a term. And I don't mean it in like a pejorative way, or I don't mm-hmm. mean it in a negative way. Um, but like in a very objective sense, like she does play it a little naively. Like it yes. is this thing of like, you know, she doesn't actually know if these things will make her happy. She doesn't mm-hmm. actually, she's never experienced these things. These are just kind of the things that society has told her to want and cherish. So she does. Yeah. But there is that thing of like, but it's certainly better than where she is now. Mm-hmm. We know that for a fact. Yeah. She wants her life to literally be a better home and garden ad, which yeah. is funny. Yeah. But like yeah. when I think a lot of actors nowadays or just like like who will do it on stage, they will play that as like the emotional truth of that is mm-hmm. Audrey knows that getting these things is what's important and getting this life is what will make her happy. Yeah. Where what I think Ellen Green does is Ellen Green yearns for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She like, she, she like, she is wistfully like longing to be somewhere else where a lot of less calibrated Audrey performances come out and tell you like what this character deserves is this happiness that will be embodied by this. Mm-hmm. And that's what suddenly Seymour is. Yes. yes. That's the thing. Yes. Is Somewhere that screen is the I want song. It is the sad, like, it is kind of this, like, let's show who this character is. And the, the, I'm taking a stance. I deserve better. I'm mm-hmm. doing, like, I'm doing the thing. God damn it. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the, the emotional powerhouse is suddenly Seymour. Yeah. And I think a lot of people want it to be both, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, they want to switch it. Yeah, and it makes suddenly yeah. Seymour work on stage a little bit less, you know, just yeah. just due to that. Yeah, no, it's, 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 there's something about, God, and I mean, it's Alan Menken and Howard Ashman then making their career on like the Disney Renaissance movies that it becomes very apparent. And like the I Want song has now become so ingrained in musical theater. It, it is such a, a, such a part of the DNA of that genre. That yeah, like it's literally it it has to be the third song. Has to be the third song of the show. Yeah. Almost always it is the third song of the show. And like there's the opening number, and then there's like something kind of like like kind of goofy or silly. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. it's the I want song. I want song. Yes, yes. And like the more mm, I and like all my favorite I want songs now are like usually versions of that that are a little skewed a little different a little like it's it's god i mean it's why like wait for it and hamilton fucking works so well because it's like hey what if we gave the villain the i want song like what if huh doesn't that change things a little bit um but like in this movie 
it is all like before it has become such a fixture of the genre, partially because on, you know, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken doing it. Like there's already a, a tongue in cheekness to how it's used generically in this movie. Like it's the thing of the I Want song, the thing that it like inherently implies about the character who is singing it is that they're self-aware. They know what they want and they're going to sing about it. And like the fact that something is being sung in the course of the musical gives it a level of emotional truth that, you know, you just can't achieve uh, in, you know, speaking things in the musical. And because of all the factors that we've talked about, all the bits of Ellen Green's performance, it is really miraculous that it turns out it's the thing you're saying, Caroline, that she doesn't know. It's actually the, the implication of this I Want song is that she doesn't know what she wants. She has an idea of like the idea of what she wants, but yeah, the thing well, that she actually does is still kind of hidden. Yeah, and and, and I think there's a huge difference uh, between there. There's a huge difference between an "I want" song and mm-hmm. an "I should get" song. Mm, sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think a lot of I think a lot of productions that I see where this falls flat is somewhere that screen becomes an "I should get" song. Yeah, and. And I want like like you can want something because that's the, that's the thing with all the I want songs, right? Mm-hmm. All of the I want songs is it's either like a character wants something, and then they find out over the course of the show that that's not actually the thing. You know, I mean, the yeah. most famous one ever. It's another. It's another Ashman. It's another Ashman Minkin is fucking part of your world. Yeah. Right. It's like the same song. <laughs> Yeah, in a lot of ways, yes. The same song. But it's it's that whole thing of what Ariel wants or what she thinks she wants is she wants to be a human. She wants mm-hmm. to go up on land. She wants legs. She wants to do this thing. Like mm-hmm. She wants to be like, she wants to be a different person. But really what she wants is to be with Eric. Like she wants yeah. to... She thinks she wants to physically and I guess I don't know, biologically slash species wise be yeah. a part of his world when really like what she wants is to emotionally be a part of his world. Yeah. And we find out and yeah, she does end up staying a person like a human. Mm-hmm. But like it is that thing of like she finds out, oh, it's not the fact that like I'm on land and I'm, you know, like and I'm doing this, that's not what's important. What's important is, you know, what's important is that it's with this person in this context. Yeah. And so that's like a very important thing, you know, and it's, I mean, it's the same thing too with all of them. It's the same thing too with like fucking Moana, right? Like she thinks, she thinks what she wants is to get away from home Mm -hmm. and she wants to prove that she can like go do these like great and amazing things and what it really is, and it's like, and it's like, and it's, it is fulfilled through that, but it's, you know, you, you have to flip it to the other side of that coin, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what she actually wants is to be like, is to like find herself. Mm-hmm. And like, she thinks she wants to accomplish a feat and she does, but really it's, you know, the real friends were the Tafitis we freed from the whatever <laughs> we made along the way. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Trope. And when, when somewhere that screen becomes, becomes like god damn it my name's audrey and i deserve a kitchenaid mixer <laughs> it becomes kind of pathetic it's like it's, it does become kind of pathetic. yeah because it's it's the thing that you risk in the ellen green performance is like she's so so meek and so silly and and the things she wants are so clearly 
ridiculous that like if she wasn't so sincere about them and there wasn't that you know that quality of the song and she wasn't so non-self-aware you'd be like well this person is pathetic like why would you want these things like any any like actually self-aware person like should know that you know these things are silly and they're consumerist and like yeah 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 it's god yeah it's every just fucking i can go the entire Disney Renaissance is the I Want song is actually just about self-discovery. I can go the distance. It's about... Yeah, uh, oh, it's so good. It's a good song. Banger. It's an absolute banger. That's another one I sing to myself and to my cat all the time. Um, but like, yeah, it's so Hercules wants to uh, prove himself and like do something that is worthy of godhood. Well, actually, no, he just wants home and he wants to do something that is worthy of like, you know, being being self-actualized to his friends or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a thing. Um, yeah, it's like you you think you want this, and you get that, and what you really find out is what you you really wanted this. And, okay, uh, switch to the dentist. Yes, um, I'm going to say something maybe controversial, which is that okay. uh, I think this is the funniest Bill Murray bit. I think ever. I think to me personally, this is the funniest <laughs> fucking. <laughs> Uh, and it was, I mean, unexpected because it's not in the show and it's not something that you, the, the joke of it is something that you just cannot pull off on stage because it requires, you know, a, like immediacy between the two people that you can't achieve from a distance. Um, it's so fucking funny. Bill Murray's entire bit. And it's like aggressively funny and everything he says made me laugh more. Yes. Yeah. It's a good bit. Sweet Martin's reaction to it's just... When this guy's not in pain, it's not giving him the juice. He doesn't. He, the thing he wants is like, oh god! It's like it's. I can't even describe it. It's so fucking funny. But yeah, Bill Murray's whole performance of him just sitting there like a little child, being like, "Am I next? Am I next?" And you're like, "What's this guy's deal?" And then it turns out his deal is he just really likes pain. Well, yeah, I mean, he like, I, I, I think he really likes pain. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. He's got, and then just the escalation of it, of like, he's gone to a, you know, well, the dentist I see on Saturdays actually preferred me to this woman that I see on Tuesdays. And I really, really admire her because she's, and his just constant talking, the fact that he has his own gauze that he's putting in his mouth, like just every bit of that comedy is so perfect. And such a, such a perfect use of Bill Murray's like particular strengths as a comedic actor. And the way that Steve Martin, Steve Martin, who up until now has been the most absurd character in the in the movie, having to play straight man to this guy. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Perfect comedy. Ah. Uh, God, I fucking love this movie. It's such a good fucking movie. It's so good. It's I I said it at the beginning, but it's one of those movies I got midway through downtown. I was just like, oh, this is perfect. And then every mm-hmm. subsequent scene, I was just like, yeah, this is this is perfect. Like this is I yeah, every single new thing is so great. Oh. Yeah. Love Vincent Gardenia as yeah. Nick. Yeah. Much slimier. Uh, yeah. big actually significant difference between those two characters in the stage show and the movie. He's much slimier in the movie than he is in the stage show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he plays that really well. The the you gotta, yeah, just go away for 30 years. You teach me how to take care of the plant. I make a lot of money. I'll come check in on you. Yeah. Maybe well, 10 years or so. Yeah. And I mean, like, that is a good kind of segue into 
talking about Moranis because we've already talked about mm-hmm. Ellen Green. And I think one reason why the ending here really works is like Seymour is never like, I mean, I guess in a very objective, a very dictionary definition of the word, maybe, but like he's never selfish. Like he's never taking no. advantage of anybody. No. And I think that's the thing is it's like, is it's like, you know, in the stage show, like it fucking sucks working at that flower shop with like Mr. Mushnick, but he is a better kind of a, a kind of a better person. Yeah. And he never really has to deceive anybody, you know? And it's never like, I don't know. Cause that's, that's like one of the whole things too with um, a, big difference between the stage show and the film is that there is a lot of the stuff early on when mushnik obviously doesn't know that the plant is like evil and eating people yeah but you do get a lot of that groundwork laid by mr mushnik which is just like oh my gosh and like like seymour like if you like like you know if you care for this plan we can like really make this plant happen like uh, like uh, you know it becomes a very self-serving thing and it becomes kind mm-hmm. of a scheme between the, the two of them that seymour could stop pretty early on mm-hmm. and i think this film makes a, the right decision for the ending they they choose to go with which is like it does just kind of happen organically yeah. right like seymour's taking care of the plant he gives it a little bit of his own blood and then like it just happens that it gets super popular and there's not a ton of scheming Mm -hmm. and i think like moranis does that very like plays the put upon very very well and then it's like it's like he trips and it's like it's like oops oh no i've like now found myself in this scenario that's really bad but he never he never like there's never really a clear like turning point where he could say like no i'm being selfish I could stop this, but I'm not going to. Yeah. It, in the stage show, it, it is, it, it hinges on Mushnick. It's the fact that in the stage show, you get Mushnick and Son, which for anybody listening is, who does not, is not familiar with it, is um, Mushnick's just a lot nicer in the stage show. Like he kind of in the beginning still has the same like, no, get the work, you fucking, you fucking nincompoop, uh, do the shot. But like, he shares in the joy of the flower shop doing well more with um, Asling uh, Green and like is more forthcoming with like, hey, I adopted you. And then Mushik and Son is a good number. It's good that it's not in this movie for a number of reasons, but like a very funny number where they go back and forth and uh, it's you get a bit of like Mushnik being like, well, this is a little self-serving. I do want you to stay around so that we make money. But there is some legitimate love between the two of them. And he essentially says like, can you, I adopt you? Can I make you my son? And he's like, I'm an adult man. You shouldn't do that. And he's like, no, no, it'll be great. And then they talk about how they're going to name the flower shop Mushnik and son. And it's actually kind of sweet by the end of the end of the song, you know? And like, and then, and it's, and then Mushnik dying to the plant in the stage show is less happenstance and more Seymour makes it Seymour makes it happen he kind of allows it to happen and that justifies him dying in the end a little bit more yeah yeah and and like you know and it is much more of a scheme Mm -hmm. in the stage show yeah um which like is a thing with why I do like the ending is because in in the film Mm -hmm. is because like you know, it, it's very, like, Faustian bargain, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and part of the part of the part of this whole Faust myth is somebody kind of somebody's like you know like I got it pretty okay mm-hmm. but like what if I had more you mm-hmm. know it's a little it's a little like you know the original like fucking Christopher Marlowe Dr. Faust is he's a fucking alchemist you know yeah. he's, he's got power and he, it's like it's like he flies a little too close to the sun it's like I could get ultimate power like I know I know how to summon the devil <laughs> I can do it if I want to. And what happens if I don't summon the devil? Nothing. What yeah. happens if I do? Well, I can get more. Yeah. And we can have a whole extended scene where we like go to the Vatican and like me and Satan fuck with the Pope because fuck the Catholics. It's yeah. It's, it's Elizabethan England. This will have Catholic. this will have no negative side effects or consequences for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. there is there's a there is a weird uh, there is a weird sidebar in, in that play where <laughs> Doctor Faustus and the devil do go fuck with the Pope. Um, because even though the devil is bad, you shouldn't sell your soul to him. If you do sell your soul to the devil, you should probably fuck with the Pope, right? Yeah, um, as well. I mean, you're already <laughs> you're already halfway there. Yeah, yeah, but as well. But uh, that's kind of the thing with, with this is it's like is it's like Seymour is actually very put upon and actually has very yeah. very very little power. So this is mm. more of like a this is more of a like I don't know like a like a like a monkey's paw kind of thing than it is mm-hmm. a Faustian thing. You know, it's more of like a it's more of like a you need something but uh oh be careful how you get it yeah cuz like the in get it the plant offers him the faustian bargain like his thing is like hey you know you want a cadillac car you want a guest spot on jack Parr, you want all these things i can you know how about my, a date with hetty lamar how about a date with hetty lamar it. you got to get it and and that that entire you know and he's essentially uninterested he's like the price of that is that i have to kill someone no like i i could never that you know and then the revelation of the dentist of like, well, yeah, that guy, that kind of deserves to die. I wouldn't mind, you know, killing him. Um, And then that is the moment where like, he lets himself, the next verse of the song, he lets himself go a little bit and like, yeah, I could could get a Mustang and date Audrey and I can have things, you know, like, Yeah. yeah, he gets a little too big for his britches. Yeah. This is to say that I think this is one of the few musical like stage musicals to films Mm -hmm. that i would not go so far as to say is better than Mm -hmm. the stage show however it does take a decent amount of liberty and does not ultimately end up being worse or sacrificing the show to hollywood No. no um I think this rules, and I think that when you license this, probably from Concord Theatricals, maybe from MTI, who's to say? Is it MTI? Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Am I echoing? All I was saying is I fucking hate that I know that, but I'm like almost 100% sure it's Concord. Okay, great. So when you market, th- or when you when you get this from Concord, I feel like they should say, which ending do you want? Yeah. Because I do think my only and we 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 hit on it earlier how it is pretty obviously inserted. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that if they had scripted from square one that we're going to change the ending and we're going to make it happy, like we we are in agreement that this is a perfect film. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think if they weave that in a little bit better, I think it's actually like a perfect film. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like unimpeachable in every sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. Again, I think you. I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy end, that they. It's so nice. I think you end the stage show. It's all the problems that we've been talking about before with Audrey. I think you end the stage show with a reprise of Somewhere That's Green. And you don't have that magnetic Ellen Green performance to like back that up. Doesn't work as well. Not as good. Yeah. 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 But yeah. 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 I could see it going either way. Well, uh, this movie fucking rips. Um, it's great. It's good. It's so I, fucking funny. I'm so glad you liked it so much. I loved it. I had loved it. It was, I mean, I don't know. Did you have any doubt in your mind? Like, this is so my shit. Like, did you have no, any doubt I in your know. mind? That, yeah. I didn't. Like, but yeah. it's been, it had been a while since I've seen the film. Mm-hmm. And I've always known that I loved it. But yeah. like, it was one of those things where it's like, I was watching it today. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh, this is gonna be good. Yeah, I was like, Carson's <sighs> really gonna enjoy. Oh this. yeah, like Carson's oh, gonna yeah. really be on this movie's wavelength. Oh yeah, oh a hundred percent. It's got bits. It's got zingers. Every song is good. Like, there's no. That's that's the tough thing with a lot of musicals too. Is like most musicals, even the one I love, there's a song or two that I kind of skip. You know, yeah. I'm listening to the cast yeah. album. All bangers. All bangers on this one. Well, and that's the thing, too, is it's like, I, I think there is, with the transition from stage to film, like, comes different considerations. And I think there is a thing with with uh, Broadway musicals and, like, with, mm. with, like, stage shows where it's like, one, tickets are very expensive. Yes. yes. If you're spending that much money, you want to get, you want to get yeah. enough show for a lot dollar. of show. Yeah. And also, there is something that is more inherently uh like lively like even when there's filler on mm-hmm. uh, in stage even when there's a song that's filler if the vocalist is really good yeah or if the choreography is really fun or if they can impress you if they can dazzle you mm-hmm. like if you are in a room with a person doing a thing and even if plot-wise it kind of drags, it's kind of like the Shapoopian music, man, right? It's like, why is there an extended eight-minute dance sequence? Does it serve any plot function? No. No. Is it because it's a musical from the 40s and there needs to be an eight-minute like extended dance sequence here? Yes. And you know what? When that number's done right, it's incredible. Yeah. It is so much fun to watch. Whereas with a film, if something's dragging... You cut it. Yeah. Something's not working. Even if they added an Ellen Green song to this where she's incredible and she's amazing and the vocals are really good. If it kind of drags plot wise or if it kind of drags like pacing wise, Mm -hmm. like you as the audience are like, wait, why are they showing this to me? Mm -hmm. Like they chose to put this in here. Yeah. Like they, they chose, they, they filmed this and it did and it doesn't work and they chose to leave it in. Well, like when you're seeing her on stage, it's like, ah, but Ellen Green, like. Yeah, this is incredible. I'm watching this happen in real time. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that it's really awesome that, like, this film does cut so much of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Oops, all, all it, bangers. Yeah, all it does is cut stuff and, like, add three new jokes that you can only do with, you know, with, in a movie. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, the closest thing I can think of is, like, we talked about it in the Cabaret episode a lot. Like, it's, like, most musical movies, the 
the adaptational considerations are so like great because because the musical is a genre all its own and because there are things about it that uh, you know you can do on stage that you cannot do in a film and vice versa like to do a musical movie you need to have a bit of a take on like what what is what is this how do we adapt this and the ones that don't work are the ones that are like well we'll just do it you know it's cats it's what if we just do exactly the stage show and what if you film it and like it's insane and it doesn't work and it's weird and like you know same with Les Mis like what if you do it 100% serious well it fucking sucks because you've lost the excitement of the stage but like something like this something like both West Side stories that really stick pretty close to the script but have takes on like why would you do that as a movie mm-hmm. you know is is very different from something like Cabaret which is hugely different from its stage counterpart but also has a take of like, well, this is why it's a movie. Yeah. There's an intentionality there that is very uh, good and cool. Yeah, I agree. Well, You think that's Little Shop of Horrors? I, I think so. That's Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. Do, ah, 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 ooh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, excellent. Corey, will you tell the nice people where they can find us on the internet? Sure can. Uh, if you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream the podcast. Uh, leaving a review would also really help out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at HHYNSPod. A very special thank you to our patrons. Uh, if you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash HHYNSCarson. Yeah, what are we doing yes. next week, Carson? So uh, next week, you know how, okay, so you know how when you watch this movie, there are songs and they make you happy? Oh, uh, yeah. They make me very yeah, happy. Yeah, so what the if uh, you watched a movie, do. the only thing music can do, what if uh, you watched a movie and the songs made you uh, sad and contemplative and <laughs> consider That's- your own mortality and the mortality of others? That sounds like a thing music and cinema can do. I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, I'll say next, we're also really stretching the definition of what is a movie with the next one. Uh, we're going to be doing Bo Burnham's movie musical slash Netflix comedy special <laughs> Inside. Ooh, which yeah. I have not seen. Yeah. Don't yeah. to this day. Yeah. I haven't Don't seen it day. since it came out because it the idea of watching it again scares me. Yeah, I'm at a point where this is going to fucking break me. Yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Um, All right. Well, uh, thank you all so much. Yeah, we'll see you next week. And as always, uh, uh, you'll be a dentist. That's so good.